With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> He's got a case of the Mondays. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. <laughs> Monday, July 30th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary, and I am a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, a 17-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It ain't okay okay. that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so... Got cancer? Under 40 sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, our big bad season finale. We're all about Obamacare. It's going to be a good one, folks. Joining us, Craig Lustig, young adult survivor brain cancer, and he is president of Message Lab Consulting. Monica Frozzi Bryant, Esquire, chief operating officer of Navigating Cancer Survivorship. And kicking it off, a live musical performance by Tim Matthews, young adult survivor of acute lymphocytic leukemia, and he is a musician and singer of Backyard Heroes. Okay, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer. Online at stupidcancer.org, we are not your father's cancer society. No, we're not. But we are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs, so welcome aboard another funful and exciting romp to the hand tonight. Season finale of the Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a Stupid Cancer, welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. And don't forget about the live interactive chat room during each and every broadcast. We invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests, and we... Have a packed house tonight. Yes, we do. It's very exciting. Very exciting. 
So, Lisa, I understand there's some folks in the uh, in the crowd that you paid off to be here. I know. That's what it's. Yeah, I, I just you know, I slipped him. I slipped him a little bit. I slipped him a Mickey actually. Nice. I dra- dragged him here. Good. Better than roofies. Mickeys are my preference. <laughs> yes. Um, I have my very good friend Nancy Schwartz, who I worked with uh, for years at TV Guide, and she's just like the mensch of all menches, and uh, rivaled only by her husband Doug Dworkin, who's here as well. They're in studio. Do you guys want to run up to the mic and say hello? You might get tethered, but watch out that you don't get yanked back by your. Um... Here's Doug. Hello, we are here. Hi, Doug. <laughs> uh, Nancy's making her way up. I, I Come smell, on, Nancy. I smell a platform. Up to the mic. I smell that. <laughs> very nice. They're great, and they've been very they're, they're, they've been very um, faithful listeners to the show, and I'm incredibly appreciative of that. That's wonderful. Yes. Good. So, people. how much do we owe you? What it, what's the tally? <laughs> Ice cream. Yeah. Ice cream. Okay, great. No, and we're joined by Maddie B., Maddie Beckett. Hey, everyone. Reverend Dr. I'm... James Manning. You can... Uh... What's up? Yo, bro. <laughs> How are my two interns doing? The interns. You guys enjoying yourself? Double trouble. Double trouble tonight. Yeah. And Mr. K., the big Kenny Kane ginger man, is uh, off tonight. M.I.A. We gave him... No, he's not really missing in action because we well, know where he is. You know. He's sleeping in inaction. Okay. <laughs> if I could make that claim. So you had a big night last night, huh? Yeah, he was out till four in the morning enjoying his weekend. I'll leave mm. it at that. I got to get to the bottom of that. Right. That's a that's a Suffolk County mystery. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh boy. So you Is that a reality it? show? <laughs> Ghostbusters. The Suffolk and County mystery. Yeah. Tonight on Di- on Discovery. <laughs> Suffolk County mystery. The Suffolk County mystery tonight <laughs> on Discovery. Exactly. <laughs> Have you been watching the Olympics? Yeah, but I haven't, you know, yes. <laughs> yes, I watched some swimming. I watched some volleyball. Uh, what else? That's about it. I watched swimming. There was water polo, which I promptly shut off. You no, know, you didn't like that? Yeah. The things on the rears. It's and weird. Kind of, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a little weird. I watched Michael Phelps get his ass handed to him. On um, tape delay? On, on tape delay, even though Saturday I know he night. got his ass handed to him. Right, right. Before, of course, the Twitter... Well, so here's the thing. Everybody's complaining about this tape delay with the Olympics, but record ratings. Record ratings. They well, have a billion dollars in advertising that NBC has taken Yeah, but most in. people who, who, who watch the taped don't usually get their information from Twitter. It's like boomers and seniors who watch the Olympics in Missouri. Right, but they're complaining that you can get your information on the homepage of the New York Times. Right. I mean, well, you know, everybody knew by Saturday afternoon that Michael Phelps had his ass handed to him. Right. But yet... Saturday night was the biggest first night numbers. It's like two million more than watched in Atlanta when the Olympics were here. Right. Record numbers for their ratings. So everybody's complaining, saying, "Why are they doing a tape delay?" Well, because they have to show prime time is when people watch, and everybody's home during the day, and you know, people complaining about the ads, but you know, they got to make money, so they sold ads. So anyway, I know there's all this hashtag NBC fail and all this stuff going on. <laughs> it's terrible. But, yeah. It's terrible. But you know, NBC's. Left Are there any the young adult bank. survivors in the Olympics this year? Actually, we're having an Olympic show in, October, in uh, September. Our second show back, September 17th, is going to have three Olympic young adult survivors. So did you just answer your own question? No, but I meant like they're in the Olympics Current. now. I don't think Currently. the three of them that we're having on the show, I think they're former Olympians who had cancer in their 20s. To the Google. To the Google. Yeah. Shannon Miller, Eric Chanteau, and Josh Sunquist are on the show September 17th when we come back for season Awesomeness. 11. Olympic... Athlete to the Google survivors. We should know this. 
but that's okay. Twenty. Always good to do R and D live on the show. Yep. <laughs> yep. Nice. Yep. Okay. So anyway, there was this really interesting story that I wanted to talk about. Um, there's this uh, great young adult uh, PhD student. I forget his name, but he goes by the handle on Twitter called Poop Strong. Like you, Maddie B. He's a young adult colon cancer stage four. Uh, patient. It's pretty funny, actually. What? Poop, as a play on Live Strong. Poop Strong. Poop Strong. Yes. <laughs> actually, total aside, back when the bracelet came out, like in 2005, 2006, I don't know what I was doing one night, but I happened to see um, something of an indiscriminate nature on the Internet. And one of the actors, what? if you would call them an actor, was wearing a yellow band during his um, acting performance. Needless to say, the next day on Facebook, which was nascent, it was like 2007 or whatever it was, um, had the, someone took a screenshot. It wasn't me. I swear it wasn't me. Someone took a screenshot of the indiscretion with the guy with his Livestrong wristband, and it was called Pornstrong. <laughs> and it, would, it was like whatever viral was in 2007, right. it, it was like crazy Pornstrong. So I saw Poopstrong. I'm like, that's awesome. It's pretty funny. Anyway, he got into a heated battle with Aetna, who refused to cover his care. Uh, once he exceeded his cap, because everyone loves caps. Um, and he amassed about $110,000 in debt, which was just the tip of the iceberg for his treatments uh, that he needed desperately to not die from colon cancer. So he went to the Twitter, and uh, he went to the Twitter. <laughs> 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 and <laughs> went to the Twitter. Yeah. He pushed the button on the tubes, and the Twitter came out. <laughs> and he... Uh, he got into like this heated Twitter argument with at Etna mm-hmm. and the CEO of Etna, who has his own uh, handle also. I forget the name, but uh, if you Google uh, "poop strong," it'll bring up this like the lead news in Google about this colon cancer patient. But it ties into what we're going to talk about tonight, which is this idea that our healthcare system is just so based on profit and not based on care. This young adult did nothing to cause colon cancer. He didn't smoke. He didn't drink. He was an Ayurvedic naturalist, as far as I know. He's from India. And uh, a naturalized citizen, deserving of the health care system. And it was part of the university care. And it provided the university right. uh, with his care, I believe. And uh, he, he had to fight it tooth and nail. Now, I don't know if Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act would have changed anything here. But it goes to the larger problem when you have a profit-based healthcare system. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking about that later on in the show. He actually has a site, poopstrong.org. Yes. Yeah. 31-year-old PhD student. What's his name? His name is... It's like an Indian name, right? Yeah, Arijit, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, it's poopstrong.org. Yeah, 31 PhD... Arjit. Arjit. You're right. It's probably Arjit. Arjit. And he's a Ph.D. student at the School of Sustainability at at Arizona State University. Wow. Fighting stage four colon cancer. Yeah, and he's married. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's just like, really? Maddie B., what did you do to cause your colon cancer? Nothing. Nothing. Right. It just kind of happened. So it's not like he had any pre-existing behaviors, like they're denying him based on the idea that young adults don't get cancer. Like that story from the movie Sicko. There was a woman in the movie Sicko who was in Michigan with cervical cancer. I've told the story on the show before. And uh, whoever her health, I think it was Humana, was her health care provider, or Kaiser. And they basically said, we're going to deny you treatment for cervical cancer because you're too young to have it. I'll say that again. You're too young to have it. Therefore, you cannot possibly need it. So, anyway. Anyway, just a 
really excited they have Craig and Monica on the show to talk about this because it's just a big mess of things, and everyone is listening to the wrong pundits talk about stupid things. And so, just to, just to, just to close the gap on this, so he was talking about how the ASU, the insurance plan, uh, the Edna Student Health Insurance Plan that he was on by ASU caps the life lifetime insur- lifetime insurance benefit paid out at three hundred grand. Right. Um, which the high cost of treatment used up in less than one year. Yep. So he had maxed that out. Anyway, therefore, that was... It's just crazy. Yeah. It's just crazy. Anyway, Anyway. it is time to introduce our live musical act for tonight, and I shall begin with this. Go for it, Matt. All right, here we go. Tim Matthews will be joined by Bobby Dykeman. Tim Matthews was diagnosed with leukemia at the age of 14. He's now 25 years old and it's seven years a graduate from the chemo world. Post-treatment, he started by a band with the lifelong best friend, Bobby, who's here tonight, a band called Backyard Heroes. Tim found a way to give back. When all he's learned from the twisted gift he calls cancer, he writes some great music, and again, he brought along his BFF. So please (laughs) welcome to the show the one and only Tim Matthews and Bobby Dykeman. Gentlemen. You can lift that. Oh, you want to keep that mic down there for your okay. temporarily adjust. They've got their wristbands on and they have nice color coordinated plaid short sleeve button down <laughs> no, shirts. It's quality. Yeah. Quality. And they have I got the stickers on my guitar case too. Good. Awesome. No, he's good. He's, he, they are geared up Represent. and ready to go. Totally and they both have excellent hair. Yes. Slightly Thank you. Thank styled you. slightly differently, but no, they're, great they're, hair. They're hipsters. Yeah, they are. Oh, you know, that, been... that, that's what we promote ourselves. We're just two handsome guys playing music. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's a Twitter handle. They're, com- <laughs> they're confident, too. Yeah. They're not lacking in, in that area. No, they, yeah. they were rehearsing before. It's really, really good. No, they really, really great. Really good stuff. excited and, to have them here. Um, so, anyway, Tim, you were diagnosed at seven. No, uh, Bobby was seven he was when seven. you were diagnosed at 14. Right, yeah. All right, so you're older, but yeah. you look younger. Yeah. I, God I bless get, your, your I genetics, get, I get dude. I that a lot. Okay, great. Um so talk us through. Fourteen has got to be the most awkward age to begin with. Yeah. Um, life is weird as it is just by waking up in the middle of the morning and whatever. If, if you even wake up in the morning because you sleep till four when you're fourteen years old. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so where were you living? What was your life like? You a typical student? What's going on? Uh, yeah. I mean, I was I was in eighth grade. I was a typical student, just going through. Uh, you know all the all the usual stuff that middle school kids have to go through, uh, just peer pressure, and it was you know being made fun of stuff like that. And, right. Uh, and the I went to um, what happened was that I I got this pain in my rib uh, that we couldn't really figure out what it was. I went to like the doctor, and we they were like, oh well maybe you fractured something. I was a very active kid, and uh, so we, uh, even like with Bobby like jumping out of trees and stuff like that. So it was not that out of... So you guys knew each other from that very young age? Oh, yeah. From, yeah. I, I, Tim was, like, the first person outside my family that I ever met. Like, yeah. <laughs> we grew up across the street from each other. Wow. Yeah. In what town? Uh, Fanwood, New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, so we couldn't really figure out what the uh, pain in the rib was, and I, I had gone to uh, a new... Uh, my current, My pediatrician I had my whole life had retired, and I went to a new one for, like, the first time, and on a hunch, he got some blood tests taken. And uh, on a hunch. On a hunch, and uh, I went. And then after that, I, I went to a, a trip to Six Flags with a bunch of my friends for school, and uh, came back and got in the car. And my mom was like, uh, "Was like your uh, doctor called? Your blood counts are low. We have to go to the hospital now." And it was, it's always Six Flags' fault. <laughs> 
Um, it's that damn. Never went back to the flag super again. duper looper. Yeah. When we were driving up to today, actually, when we were driving to uh, to Delaware to to record this weekend, we passed Six Flags, and both times we were like, <laughs> we should really go to Six Flags. <laughs> <laughs> you need that closure moment, <laughs> right. rolling thunder. Yes. But uh, it's when I first went into the hospital, and like they were, they were the interesting thing to me was that they kept saying leukemia, and they're like, leukemia might be a possibility. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. I I was 14 years old. I never really heard right. that. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, he interchanged the word at one point and said cancer instead of leukemia. And I was like, ho, ho, hold yeah. on. <laughs> right. Wait, that's not what we were just talking about. Right. right. Leukemia, no, leukemia equals cancer? cancer? Yeah. I yeah. was like, are you telling me kids can get cancer? Like, it, it was even yeah. to the point that I just, I had thought that cancer was just something you got when you got old. Like, sure. Yeah. And uh, so it, it that obviously changed everything once I found found that out. And, right. Uh, but along the way, I've met some incredible people. Uh, tons of uh, I know like over 200 other kids that uh, um, I go to. Uh, Did we ask where you were treated? Uh, I was uh, treated at the Valerie Center at Overlook Hospital. Okay. And uh, and so like I mentioned, the Valerie Fund has a camp. And I uh, I attended that when I was in treatment and stuff. And there's all these kids that. And which uh, ca- wait, this was which camp? Uh, this camp's called Camp Happy Times. It's in Tyler Hill, Pennsylvania. And it's one week out of the summer. Uh, it's a it's an amazing place. And uh, it, I was very lucky to meet some incredible people that were very helpful through uh, through my treatment. Are you still friends with many of them? Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, I'm not a camper anymore. Uh, now I'm a counselor. Awesome. Um, oh, you I, are. Yeah. I cool. Actually, uh, He's I, an alumni of Stupid Cancer. Yeah. And uh, I'm not. I I wasn't able to go this year because um, our schedules were a, a lot busier uh, with the band, um, which has been very nice though. So. So what? So it took you out of school. What was your treatment like? What was your life like after you got diagnosed at that age? Um, it took me out of school. Yeah. yeah. It uh. In, instantly, once I was diagnosed, uh, I didn't attend the the rest of my eighth grade year. Uh, my counts were uh, up enough that I was allowed to go to my uh, eighth grade graduation, but That's then I, I had to leave uh, afterwards. So after not being there the whole year, then what was that like for you to show up to your eighth grade graduation? You hadn't seen your friends or anybody it that was, hadn't seen you for a whole year. It was, uh, no, I was diagnosed in May, um, okay. so it was almost the end of the year. Right. Okay. Um, but uh, it was. I mean, it was incredible to see yeah. everybody, and it was this uh, a, amazing feeling to see all these people um, just uh, supporting like me. Like pulling for you. Yeah, pulling yeah. For me, you yeah. Know, the, here's, your, here's your friend that you just found out yeah. uh, has cancer, and to most kids, uh, they hear cancer, and they think, oh, my God, like, my uh, my friend's going to die. Yeah. And, but they weren't scared away by that. They weren't. That was, and that was... Uh, that was incredible. That's amazing. But uh, did you encounter any bullying, any misunderstandings with other... Just disappearance from any of them? Um, I wouldn't... I, no, I never uh, came across any kind of uh, bullying uh, as far as uh, when I was diagnosed. I There were uh, definitely um, people who, who weren't able to handle it. Uh, right. And pretty much there wasn't any explanation to it. They just kind of... Uh, disappeared. And so, Bo- I mean, Bobby, what did you think? Because you knew him back then, and you were younger. And what did the other you, one of the kids around the neighborhood? I mean, what did what was it? What were all the kids saying? What did you think? Well, I was I was seven years old, and so for yeah. me, like, I feel like I probably understood it even less than Tim. So I just hear this word cancer, and it's just like he said, like you think he's going to die. Like I associated cancer with death, like and being old, and like it was just really scary, and I didn't understand it, and like I've written like this 
I've written, like, an essay for school, like, every year since then, like, trying to, like, figure it out still in my head, and I still can't even process it all the way. Like, it's yeah. just, it was just really hard to understand and just how our relationship changed and we grew closer and everything. Like, we went from, like, running around in the backyard every day to not being able to do that anymore, and a lot changed, and it was just, it was really scary. Yeah, yeah, wow. So when did you so when did you form the band? Tell were you always playing music the two of um, you or Tim what what's the story? Well, we we both, uh, both of us have always had uh an extreme love for music. Mm-hmm. Um uh music, performing arts, movies, stuff like that. And it um and uh we started the band uh a bit over a year ago, uh last March, uh I guess is when we started writing. Um we had both kind of done uh different music stuff like leading up to that and then uh we just we were kind of talking one day, and we were like, "Hey, why don't we uh, try writing some songs together? I, I got some I got some lyrics. Let's see what we can do." And uh, and it just really uh, sparked from there. And so, so, Tim, do you write the lyrics, and Bobby, you do the music, or you kind of both work on we, both? Or what? Uh, we, uh, we both do both. We both, I think. Yeah. both yeah. yeah. Now, have you written about your cancer experience? Does that come through in your music? Absolutely. That's, yeah. Um, that, that will be what we're playing today. Those yeah. Kind of songs like we yeah. have. Um, uh three three songs that uh that we play uh live and uh and have recordings of so far that uh that include the story uh we have another one uh that we uh, there's actually probably a few others that uh we're working on we're working on but they're just not quite there yet but it's definitely it's a it's a huge factor um so we should get we should get right to their music pretty soon yeah. but i was going to say like before you guys play where can people see you? What's kind of the state of the band right now? Are you do you tour locally? Do you go beyond that? Or are you going to put an album we, together? Like, what's tell we, the folks out there uh, where Backyard Heroes is? Uh, and great name, by the way. It Thank is a great you. name. Yeah. It is a great yeah. name. Uh, we um uh, yeah. we we play mostly in New Jersey and New York City. Uh, we just played a show, uh, our second New York City show on uh, this past Thursday, and uh, um and actually the. This radio shows our uh, last like official booking that we have so far, uh, but that we're the end of their tour. Yeah, yeah. We're, uh, <laughs> they saved the best for last. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's your yeah. guys' season finale. It's our finale for the tour. Yeah, Great. Awesome. we uh, played the show and then we went to Delaware and recorded some new songs and uh, we released a couple of them today. Uh, and we were really excited about doing that. And then we're and then we were coming here, but we're definitely going to be. Uh, booking more shows and we're always playing probably the best thing people can do is either uh find us on uh on facebook uh or uh if people don't have facebook we also we do the twitter as well <laughs> the twitter <laughs> and, and, twitter. <laughs> and uh and it it, just at backyard heroes it's uh, yeah yeah at okay. backyard heroes and then our, and facebook is facebook.com slash backyard heroes music yeah. Nice. And then uh our website is a little more complicated. I don't know if maybe in the chat room or something they can type that in. Yeah. Uh, that's easier for people, but it's reverbnation.com slash back your heroes music and uh Gesundheit. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh but we po- we're always posting uh songs, we're always posting uh videos, blogs, uh photos. We're very very interactive uh with fans, which uh we really enjoy that. So people can kind of find us anywhere. We're very shameless in our self-promotion. And, and even if you just Google Backyard Heroes, we're in some of the top searches. Yeah. So you should be able to find <laughs> Good. us. It's just, it's, it really is. It's awesome that you guys grew up together and you have, the, have that as a name. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. what the name comes from. Like, yeah. yeah. I'm running around just in our Batman capes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, so All what right. are you going to play for us? What's, what's the first uh, song? The, f- uh, the first song is uh, a song called Survive that uh, 
Bobby actually is uh, the one who uh, who wrote all all the lyrics for this one, uh, which is uh, what's really interesting about this song. Um, the uh, each verse um, we're singing back and forth to each other. The song's about uh, our friendship. It's about keeping each other strong through tough situations, uh, and specifically like the cancer and uh, and but in we're singing back and forth to each other. Uh, oh no, I wrote the second verse. Yeah, uh, but Bobby, get your story straight. <laughs> uh, I started it and I had it going back and forth with that idea in my head, and I said, and I had it, and I had the chorus, and I told him, I said, here, now you do the second verse, yeah. and like you do your part of the story. Yeah. So, it was, so it has both sides, yeah. the caregiver and the survivor. It was, nice. It cool. was it was really cool to when he approached me with the song uh, because um, the first verse showed him writing. Uh, stuff that I was singing and writing stuff that he was singing. So he was like writing from his perspective and my perspective. And then the second verse, I had to do the same. So I had to kind of get myself into a headspace of like, you know, w- what was he thinking? What would at he say? Well, yeah, and, exactly. Uh, and then, um, and that it's a really cool song for us. And we we've dedicated this song uh, to all uh, people affected by cancer, the caregivers. Uh, and uh and the people diagnosed we played it we played it at like relay for life and stuff like that and Great. um awesome and so we'll play this one all right what's it called again it's, it's survive survive yeah why you didn't put that i'm kidding <laughs> all right here it is survive from backyard heroes Don't you think I thought about the consequence of everything? Will it all go wrong? I'm holding on to what I've missed. Won't let it take me down this time. I need a guiding hand. And I've got a feeling that we could go anywhere and now he's got control I was just a kid thrown into this mess I didn't understand the impossible takes hold so just close your eyes and hold your breath we'll find a way to survive so please don't go, just hold on tight, cause I can't go alone. I couldn't ever see me falling, leaving you behind. I'll help you handle this But don't be scared, I got you I ain't going anywhere It's time to make a stand Side by side, back to back Look at us, we're heroes tonight There's nothing in our way Close your eyes and hold your breath. We'll find a way to survive. So please don't go. 
this everything I wanted? Will it end the same? God, you know I need this. I think I've earned this chance. I don't need to believe me when I say I'm never going down. Just look me in the eye. I'm still alive. I'm still alive. I'm still alive. So just your eyes and hold your breath. We'll find a way. That was amazing. You guys sound great. Thank you very nice much. Nice harmony on that, too. Thank you. We try. <laughs> I love that back and forth. Yeah. And I love the sort of, like, tight phrase of the one response, and then you kind of how you switch it around, and that's, that's great. Wow. Good stuff. Love Thanks it. We have much. a lot of fun with it. Yep. Love it. Good well, um, why don't we do the news, talk to Craig and Monica for a little while, cut to them. They can close us out. And they can close us out also. That'd be great. All cool. Right. Yeah. All right. So All let's right. get to the news here. Guys, that was awesome. Well, you're sticking around. You're not going anywhere. You're sitting yeah, no, here. Right, right, right. And the door's locked. I was going to say, the door's locked. They can't get out. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Here we go. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Okay. It's the Stupid Cancer News. Don't forget to check out our newly launched online store at stupidcancerstore.org. Pick up some cool threads for you or someone you care about today. That's me. Yes. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods. Don't miss out. Matthew, tell the good folks what's going on. Okay, August 1st, Denver Chapter Relaunch Kickoff Happy Hour, August 3rd, D.C. Metro Pre-Conference Happy Hour, and August 4th is the Pre-Conference Conference, the second annual <laughs> Life with Cancer Young Adult Conference in Fairfax, Virginia. <coughs> Excuse right me there, there yes. August 16th, New York City Metro Happy Hour and the L.A. We Spark Young Adult Group. And September 15th is the OMG 2012 East here in New York City. Register today at OMG East. Uh, I'm sorry, at east.omg2012.org. That's east.omg2012.org. We have 150 slots and 75 are taken already. And it was that pre-conference conference that got you all choked yeah, up. Yeah, I'm pre-conferenced out. Yeah, you are. All right. Out of 2,400... Actually, we don't need to vote anymore. We, we, oh, we did won. I just... <laughs> you did? Yeah. Not the whole thing. Not the whole thing. No. No, we won the East Coast. Yes. Right? Right. So, well, still, out of what, 2,400 nominations? Yes. We were selected as the East Coast finalists for health, the health and well-being category for the fourth annual Classy Awards. Yes, big deal. So what do we have to ask the people to do? Nothing. Nothing. Just, just thank us. Or, Just or, or let us give ourselves a pat on the back, and you can do it as well. And thank you for we voting. Thank you. And the awards are what September, right? September something. Thank you very much for voting, everybody awesome who voted stuff. for us. That's the main point, as Matthew said. Yes. 
in the uh, sixth annual OMG Cancer Summit in Las Vegas, which my two friends here with the guitars are going to come to, apparently, with their whole alumni crew from the camp that's over the age of 18 nice. to enjoy the debauchery that is stupid cancer in Vegas, uh, is taking uh, mailing list registrations now, OMG2013.org. Sign up now for the latest in uh, venue agenda registration, player club, and other exciting information. Is it 18 or 21 in Vegas? Well, you can be 16 to come, but they, they kind of like look at you funny when you walk in the casino at 18. Yeah. All right. Join the mailing list. Where are we? No. No. Nope. Stupid cancer forms. I'm completely, I've botched this news. Lisa's not here right now. Ways right now. I'm so taken with the, with the Backyard Heroes. <laughs> what are we talking about? The forums? Yeah, and that's it. Stupid Cancer Forums have over 2,500 members and growing your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.com. Sign up with one click through Facebook. And that, that is your, your Stupid, Stupid Cancer, Cancer News. News. All right, who's got Monica? Who's got It's Craig? Obamacare. It's Obamacare. I'll read Craig because he's my it. BFF. Yep. Craig Lustig is the president of Message Lab Consulting, an organization that integrates health policy and program development, communications, and advocacy. Previously, he was the executive director of the Children's Cause for Cancer Advocacy, where his responsibilities included training young adult cancer survivors to effectively advocate with their members of Congress. He is a young adult survivor of brain cancer. He was the very first young adult I ever met when I was dying for some peer support, and he's one of my best friends today. He showed you the way. Yes. And Monica? Go ahead, please. Monica Fawzi Bryant, she's an esquire. That's very fancy. She's an attorney. She's a cancer rights attorney, a speaker, and an author, chief operating officer for Navigating Cancer Survivorship, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing education and resources on cancer survivorship issues. She shared her expertise on cancer-related legal issues and advocacy through numerous seminars, articles, and community television and radio shows. We're thrilled to have them both here. All right. Craig Lustig and Monica Fozzy Bryant. Hello. Welcome. Hi there. Hi there. So cool to have you on. Thanks for coming on the show. This has been a heated topic for a very, very long time and one that we've never really actually talked about on the show to the point where it provided any meaningful purpose <laughs> to anyone listening. So uh, we're like, we wanted to, who were the best people we can get on the show? And they couldn't show up. So we got you guys, and uh, I'm just kidding. Instead of Nancy Pelosi. (laughs) (laughs) No, but, you know, I've known you guys, you've known me, we've worked together for many, many years now, and I I think that you guys really have your finger on the pulse of what's actually going on to debunk the hype and get to the facts, and, you know, I think the the, the best way we can sort of showcase where you've come from and what your credentials are, why don't we just talk about your stories, as to how you got to where you are today. So let's start with Monica. Sure. So um, I actually became a lawyer for the very cliche reason, to try to make the world a better place. So then, uh, I started start? off, yeah, you know, um, so I started off in uh, Congress writing the laws and then decided it was time for a change. You can only spend so much time on the Hill, I think. Um, and I moved to become a cancer rights attorney and try to give people empower people by teaching them about what their rights and benefits are through the law. And you were with the Cancer Legal Resource Center, correct? I was, yes. Right. And um, so now you're in Chicago, or were you always in Chicago? It was always in Chicago. Okay. I was always in Chicago. I've just moved over to a uh, new organization called Navigating Cancer Survivorship. And what do they do? 
So we host a speakers bureau for cancer survivorship experts. Um, that basically we can provide hospitals, organizations, other groups with, you know, turnkey seminars and teleconferences on the whole variety of cancer survivorship issues. So well, part of go. that includes the legal and financial components, but others as well. Right. And Craig, I first met you when you were a grad student in Columbia, correct? Yes. It's a long time ago. A long time ago, <laughs> it was you know it was sort of the cancer dark ages when yes. when uh, people would you know only whisper the word. Right. So so what what brought you into the world of uh, of, of advocacy? What got you to Children's Cause from Columbia? And you were diagnosed what in eighty seven or eighty six? No, ninety uh, two. Ninety two. Okay, I was close. Ninety two. <laughs> um, and at that point, I was working in advertising. Um, you know, everything was going uh, pretty well living in New York City, and uh, that diagnosis turned my world upside down. And uh, so after about, oh, two-plus years of treatment, um, I decided to go back to school. Uh wasn't sure exactly what I was going to come out doing, but um, went to Columbia for grad school, came out uh, with a master's in public administration, and thought I would probably stay in New York and go work for some good nonprofit and maybe do, you know, cancer work and and help people. Um and uh kind of on a I don't know, a, a whim and a, a suggestion from a couple of people in my graduate program, I applied for um a position with the federal government kind of a management fellowship if you will and ended up uh the National Institutes of Health for two years and uh that was a long time ago. <laughs> so I've been in DC uh, uh thirteen plus years I guess and um have worked uh both in the government at the National Cancer Institute and at the NIH more broadly, worked in the nonprofit sector um and have been most recently doing a lot of consulting and and the thing that i that has really been my passion is is around not just sort of the education of young adults we know that's really important uh at whatever kind of point they are on the cancer continuum but really the goal of um empowering them to better advocate for themselves and uh get involved then at kind of higher levels of advocacy if you will uh with policymakers locally or on uh, at the federal level. Well, there you go. So, I mean, basically the, the, the whole point of today's show is to talk about the Affordable Care Act um, and what it really means and what, how to demystify some of the bunk that's being discussed. And, you know, it is election year, so all they're doing is spinning everything to get dumb people to believe what they're supposed to not hear. So w- why don't we just break it down uh, from the basics, taking into consideration that we're the only nation in the world that profits from health care. Um, t- let's take that absurdity aside for a second, and, and I guess we'll start with Monica. Um, what What is the Affordable Care Act? In the t- I know it's like 7,000 pages long, but <laughs> is, is there a 101 for it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a 101 for it? Short answer is no. Um, you know, that's that's always the question I get when I'm out giving seminars. You know, just, just tell us really briefly what the ACA does. You know, well, it's a bazillion pages, and there's, it's not just the law, but it's the regulations that HHS and the Department of Labor and all those agencies put out. And then basically what a lot of the law did was actually give mandates for states to act. 
So we're right. still waiting on a lot of states to do things. Um, so at the end of the day, even if the law gets completely implemented, we're going to end up with probably close to 50 different sets of rules. Right. On a I'm guessing that's a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I could qualify it as good or bad. It just makes it harder to answer your question. So, so when they go come out and say that Obamacare limits states' rights, and and when they say it should be a state-based decision, it is apparently what you should say going to be a state-based decision, correct? Many of the provisions in the law will fall to the states. So, for example, um, part of what this law does is it says that um, starting in 2014, states should have something called an exchange. The best way I've heard an exchange described is a health insurance mega mall. So basically, you'll be able to go into these exchanges as an individual or a small business and purchase individual health insurance. The plans are supposed to be standardized. So you're able to compare apples to apples and oranges to oranges. You'll be able to like actually see what the plan's going to cost you and what they're going to cover. So each state has their own option to create this exchange. So it is, in fact, going to be a state-run plan. Well, now, I states think, also okay. have the option to opt out. Sorry to interrupt, but states also have the option to opt out, and some, in fact, actually have already. So I think, I think probably let's go to one of the most basic questions, which is that a lot of people ask, which is should people, quote-unquote, be forced to buy health insurance, right? I mean, isn't that one of the sort of the, the biggest issues surrounding this? is essentially people are put in this position, and is it anti-American to say that people people should be, people need to buy health insurance? What's your response to that? Or question? is it like car insurance? You're forced to buy car insurance. No one bitches about that. So you actually, in fact, just stole my thunder. I was going <laughs> to say that in our, every single state, in order to drive a car, you have to have car insurance. So is it really that unreasonable to say that to be in this country where I would say, 99% of the people are going to, at some point in their lives, access the healthcare system, that they need to buy insurance for that. And I will also say that, you know, the individual mandate is obviously sort of the most controversial part of this whole law, but for most people, it's not going to affect them. Most Americans get their health insurance through their employers, and that will continue to be how it is for them. So nothing really will change for them. And, and there's actually a dirty secret. The, uh, there is no provision for the IRS to enforce this law. There is no money for the IRS to actually be um, going out there and making sure that that particular piece of legislation is being enforced. And that was James Manning, our intern, by the way. Craig, do you want to jump, or either one of you want to jump in on that, and about, the, about how the IRS can or cannot enforce this? Well, in theory, they're going to do something via your tax return, and, you know, you don't really necessarily want your tax return being audited. But, you know, I think there's another point around this. So the car insurance example is a great parallel. The other one is that, that you know, if you don't have insurance and then you need health care and you go to the emergency room, there are a couple of sort of, you know, kind of negative consequences of that. One is that, most people going to the emergency room uh, are going to go, they're going to delay getting health care and they're going to go later and they're going to be sicker and it's going to be tougher for them. And for the rest of us, we end up paying the bill um, because it's not like the cost just goes away or the hospital eats it or the doctor's office eats it. The costs uh, end up going into higher 
insurance premiums for those people who have insurance. So, you know, I think there's a real, if you want, will, sort of case for uh, a fairness and justice uh, in, in a really, you know, well-working insurance system. Are there numbers out there on, on how much money is spent by people who can afford health insurance but choose not to and ultimately wind up going to the ER when they when they have something that could have been taken care of for ten dollars? Hello. I'm, I'm sure there. I'm sure there are. I just don't know offhand. No, but that's the whole point, right? Most people who can afford insurance choose not to because they don't feel they need it, but the one time they do, it costs the taxpayers 10,000 times more than it normally would have. They just paid out of pocket it's, to have a policy. Exactly, exactly. And I, I think the other part is that the the, the penalties that you've heard about are, um, at least initially, I don't think terribly burdensome. Monica may know more of the details, but from what I've heard, we're talking about something like maybe you know $95 or something like that. Um, and, and so it's not necessarily – there is a real question, I think, about whether for those people who absolutely do not want to sign up for insurance, whether the penalty will be enough to motivate them. So that's exactly it. The, the first year that this goes into effect is 2014, and the penalty is $95. And then it goes up from there, and starting in 2016, it's $695. $695. Correct. Per year – Per person in the household that does not have insurance. So, right, so they're kind of cutting you a deal for the first exactly. year. Exactly. Right. And then after that, um, after 2016, it's sort of the national average of the bronze plan, which is the bottom level plan that you're going to be able to buy in these exchanges. So the idea is kind of like you may as well just buy the bronze plan insurance in the exchange because you're paying the same amount either way. So, Craig, let's talk about one of the clauses, this pre-existing condition clause, because, you know, you work with cancer patients, and obviously many of them are, uh, if they're treated younger, like with the children's cause, they're usually under their parents' care, but then they grow up and they become 25, 26, they age out of the 26-year-old gap. They have a pre-existing condition, but they need to get a chest X-ray for something, you know, whatever. Talk us through how this really makes a difference and if, if you know anything about how the insurance companies are be, behaving very negatively towards it. Okay. I mean, I think it's part of a, a series of things that are particularly relevant to young adults, and I will tell you that I had personal experience with this before, obviously well before the law was in place. Um, I was switching jobs, and this was after I had had my cancer treatment, so I was finished, but I still had regular appointments. And I had to play a game where literally I went on to the staff as a freelancer for a long enough period so that it was far enough away from my last doctor's appointment and I had to not go to the doctor, and then I could get signed up for the insurance. So, you know, people are stuck playing all sorts of games like this or can't get coverage altogether. So um, I think that the the the, um, the provision around the elimination of pre-existing conditions, which is one of the most popular uh, uh, provisions of the law, from what I've heard, um, has not been an issue. Um, certainly, I've also heard that in some cases the insurance companies were implementing certain things even before the the law. The law is sort of rolling out, as uh, Monica said, through its full implementation in 2014. So, um, I don't think that the insurance companies 
you know, I, I can say that anecdotally, I've not heard people complaining about, gee, uh, supposedly I, you know, I shouldn't be dealing with pre-existing condition exclusion, and I am, and and they have to, you know, pursue uh, legal assistance or something like that to to fight that. And then there are a couple of other really, really important um, benefits for young adults. Um, the elimination of lifetime caps is a great thing for everyone, but particular for cancer patients. And the other one, which has gotten a lot of press and has had quite a significant impact already, is the um, uh, ability for um, young adults to be on their parents' policy up to age 26. And I was reading up on that and saw that there's something like 3.1 million um, young adults who uh, are on their parents' plan, so they probably would not have an, had insurance otherwise. We know that young adults are less likely to have insurance for a whole variety of reasons. You know, they may be working part-time. They may be uh, in uh, working for – they're more likely to work for small businesses when, when they're younger. Um, if you're a cancer patient, maybe you can't work full time. All sorts of things like that. So that's a that's a that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Um, and I think the other, all of those, from again anecdotally, from what I've heard, the insurance companies are 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 being pretty good about um, uh, implementing those, and in some cases, in advance of when they're required to. Let's talk about it again. Again, let's go back to some arguments against because even though he's seen as sort of the forebearer for this. Uh, Mitt Romney, you know, talks about how this will sort of increase our country's deficit by however many trillions of dollars. I'm looking up here. Um, what uh, what, do you, what do you guys say to that? Well, I mean, I think there's been a couple of different arguments that have come out about this whole idea that health care reform is going to waste a bunch of money that this country doesn't have. But when you think about it long term, the idea of Improving health, the healthcare system is going to mean less late stage and expensive diseases. Um, it's, it's kind of the same concept with let's have health insurance companies pay for preventative screenings and exempt them from copays and deductibles. Because shocker, if we get people in for screenings, we catch things sooner, and then it's less expensive to treat, and there's a better survival rate. So in the short run, yes, it may in fact cost us some money, but long term, obviously I don't have a crystal ball, but if I had to guess long term, I think that it is in fact going to save this country money. And the Congressional Budget Office, which is in fact nonpartisan, um, just released a report recently saying that the deficit is actually going to be reduced by this bill. I'd like to understand a quick question here. The, why aren't the ins- and they're totally ignorant? Why are the insurance companies more excited about this? Because they're going to be getting millions of more customers and clients. Shouldn't they be more excited? Or does the risk pool of bringing in these people offset whatever profits they were expecting to make? They they're excited because they 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 think at the end of the day this is a, a you know a profit benefit to them. They're going to get 30 million more people signing up for insurance. And if you have more healthy people in the pool, those people help to pay for the sick people, and then hopefully you make a better profit at the end. Um, they've also agreed as part of this, and you, you people have already – I got one of these letters, and I know there are people who have um, from your insurance company. Um, the, the insurance companies are now required by law to – 
spend a certain amount of the money that they take in through premiums on patient care. There's a, they have to spend, uh, they cannot fall below a certain threshold. And if they do, they have to actually refund that money to the customers. So, like, I got a letter basically saying that my plan is verifying that they spent the, I don't know, 85% of the, the dollars that they had as required by law um, to, to cover patient care. So clearly they think that taking more sick people on and taking these kinds of restrictions like they've got to spend a certain, you know, uh, percentage of their funds on, on actually taking care of patients instead of marketing or administrative costs is still a better, is a, is a, is a better win for them than um, the current situation. Craig, we have a question from Kim in the chat room here. Will the medical loss ratio work the same when you have insurance through your employer? Um, the the answer is uh, it depends. If, so if so, in the case where the medical loss ratio comes out and the insurance company um, has not spent enough money, if you will, so um, then they have to they have to uh, provide a refund. If you have insurance through your employer, the I believe that the refund goes to the employer, but then the employer is required to either they can actually simply just turn that money directly over to their employees, or they can use it. There, I forgot what the, the the language is, but they can use it for you know other things to uh, benefit employees. So I'm not sure what that exactly means, but they can use it in different ways. But ultimately, the benefit of those refunded premium dollars has to come back to the individual employees. Okay. So where is this cost coming from that they say we're going to be spending more money to spend less later on? Monica, if if basically the money coming in the mandate is for citizens to pay out of pocket for a policy that's going to make insurance companies wealthier, where's the cost coming into that? Well, I'm not sure I would agree with everything that you just said in terms of the individual mandate making insurance companies wealthier um, because, again, you know, as Craig was talking about, the medical loss ratio sort of controls that. Some of the money is going to come from the penalties on people not purchasing insurance. Some of the money um, has supposedly is going to come from uh, less money being spent to pay for emergency care that we're paying for now. Um, and it's, you know, to be honest, I'm, I mean, I'm a lawyer. I'm definitely not an economist. So I don't know if the numbers are all going to work. We don't have a crystal ball. But our healthcare system right now costs taxpayers a boatload. So the idea that this law is supposed to make things better. And you do also have to realize that it's not just about, when we talk about pre-existing conditions and people being able to buy insurance, even if you have a pre-existing condition, it's not just about being able to get the insurance, but that the insurance will, in fact, be affordable. So starting in 2014, insurance companies can only look at a couple of things in order to actually determine your premium. Um, and that, that means you know, are you purchasing an individual or a family plan? Because obviously family plans are going to be more expensive. Your age, your rating area, which is your geographic location, and your tobacco use. So if you use tobacco, you have to pay more. So it is about getting more people into the pool. If more people are in the pool, 
it decreases the risk on the insurance companies, and the insurance should be affordable for everybody. Got it. So we're going to take a five-minute break so these guys can play another tune. I don't know if you were listening in before the show. But we have the the uh, young adults. Speaking of the children's cause, we have a, a, a 11-year cancer survivor of leukemia. He was diagnosed at 14. He's 25 now with his uh, best friend, who's seven years uh, his uh, junior. Uh, they have a great band. They're live here in the studio playing some songs about what it was like to be a teenager going through cancer and having a buddy who was of the same so if you don't mind, we're going to put you on hold for a second to have him play another song. So just bear with us. Thanks, guys. All right, guys, you ready? Yeah. What's this song? Uh, this song, um, uh, I, I guess probably the best thing to say uh, about a, a lot of our songs is uh, that um, music was such a huge uh, help to me while I was in treatment, and that, that combined with the fact of the uh, benefit of, uh, help and support and love and care from uh, friends and family. Um, those the, that positivity and laughter—it's all very much in uh, exists in a lot of our songs. And this one uh, is a song called "Mild Stories," and this song is kind of like a love song that uh, um, that is about uh, it. Me- it mentions in the song like the loss of hair and the scars and stuff, but that none of that stuff matters um, because. Uh, the two of you can uh, can help each other and keep things positive and strong, and uh, that's what this song's about. Well, there you go. Right. And here we go. Backyard Heroes. My loss of hair 
questions about Obamacare. We actually have a question from uh, Doug Dworkin in the house here. Doug, you want to step up to the mic? Monica Craig, you're back on. Okay. Guys, you think that's kind of a tough act to follow, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're going to break out your flutes and tubas. It's our friend Doug who's visiting the show in studio. He's got a question for both of you. Yeah, I just wanted to know, um, it's estimated that the Affordable Care Act will add about 30 million customers, i.e. patients, to the load on the medical system, and I know there's been some talk about potential. We already have an acute shortage of uh, GPs in this country, uh, and there's been talk of an, uh, this adding to the pressure and shortage on the number of physicians available, and this is not some problem that can be solved in the short term. Um, I wondered if you had any thoughts on how to address that and also how you think that would affect the cost curve in the near term. That's, a, he- that's a heavy question. Well done, Doug. No, it's a good, one. No, yeah, a good question. Important. Which yeah. one of you guys, who's, who's comfortable picking that one up? I, I, can, I can take it. I've actually been reading a little bit on this. Um, it, it's, a, it's, it's a huge issue, uh, you know, as I like to think about it. The Affordable Care Act is really about kind of solving the insurance problem, but it doesn't solve the larger, if you will, you know, access to care problem. We already know that we have a a big problem with a a particular shortage of primary care physicians. Um, In in my limited reading on this, 
there is some money in the Affordable Care Act to um, encourage um, new doctors to go into, you know, internal medicine or primary care fields. Um, I think that uh, it's going to be a, a tremendous problem in oncology as well. So the need for more oncologists is, is going to be a, a tremendous situation, and I think probably one of the, if not the long-term solution, probably one of the short-term solutions is you're going to see a lot more care being provided by non-physicians. So whether they are physician assistants or nurse practitioners or other folks like that who have the ability to manage certainly maybe not, you know, kind of major acute care problems, uh, but they certainly can take care. They can cover a lot of that care at sort of the, the, the you know, kind of lower level. Okay. How do people feel about that? Yeah. Basically, we've got a big problem. I don't know that I have a better, right. a better answer than that for now. I mean, I, this opens up a whole can of worms with, you know, doctors becoming doctors because they get paid well, but doctors don't really get paid well as much as they used to unless you go into private practice. And then even still, there's all sorts of crazy administrative overhead, and it, it's it's not terribly uh, appealing anymore to go into medicine, isn't it? Oh, it's appealing to become a specialist. <laughs> right. That way, because you make twice as much money as if you are, you know, a basic pediatrician or, or an internist. Right. Um, and, and so that's why that's that. While we probably still don't have enough specialists, the bigger problem is that we don't have enough primary care f- people. Um, and, and I I think that that's that's a larger sort of societal question, if you will, that probably right. this law may start to lead us to, which is, you know, how do we how do we provide the level of care that that our our population needs in a way that it, once everyone's you know, or once we're close to having everyone covered in an insurance system, well, you know, great. But if we don't have enough doctors or if the new people in, in, in the Medicare uh, um, who are Medicare, uh, not Medicare, Med- Medicaid, are, aren't able to even get a doctor because the payment uh, rates from Medicaid are so low that they, they can't get a physician to accept them, those, these are really huge problems. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to ask Monica as an attorney. Were you surprised that the Supreme Court upheld the law in terms of this argument of it being a tax? Um, what did you think? Um, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting, <laughs> and it was definitely sort of fun um, as an observer to listen to all of the pundits and the news outlets and the lawyers kind of sat it back and forth before the Supreme Court came down with the decision, but at the end of the day, no one knew what was going to happen, and I think a lot of people were very surprised that it was Chief Justice Roberts that was the swing right. vote. Right. Um, you know, he was, in fact, appointed by George W. Bush, um, tends to be pretty conservative, but the reasoning, um, you know, for those of us that actually spend our evenings reading yeah. Supreme Court briefs, <laughs> um, the reasoning was actually pretty sound, because it was this concept that taxes that are supposed to influence our conduct, they're not new. You know, we've been having them since the turn of the century, Um, and recently there's been um, a big push in a lot of states to increase uh, the taxes on cigarettes 
to kind of make it less appealing to young people to start smoking. Right, so right. So this concept of, you know, if we tax it really heavily, maybe people will do it. Right. Um, it's not a new thing. No, and not at all. It's kind um, of interesting that they said, oh, well, just because the law says penalty doesn't mean it. They need a penalty. They right, really right. Need tax. That was, right. That was kind of interesting to me. Um, but it's also, you know, a lesson in you've got to remember who's writing these laws. You know, this one particular law was made up of a bunch of smaller laws that were all put together. Um, so by no means is it perfect drafting or a perfect law that's a magic pill that's going to save our health care system. But it's certainly a step in the right direction to help people who are coping with cancer and other serious illnesses. You know, when the when the Supreme Court was uh, in debating it before they released their um, their uh, their decision, I had said something on the show about how there's always going to be some people that are like, you know, like from Charlton Heston's, you can, you know, you can have my gun when you pry from my cold dead hands. There's going to be someone that says you can pry, you can have my fried deep fried Twinkies when you pry from my cold dead hands. Someone actually came out and said that. They actually said, you know, I have the right to eat like crap and do what I want and there's no preventative anything and if I want to smoke I'm going to smoke and if it costs someone else money that's their problem. Is that and obviously that's rationally not really an argument, but that's kind of what's getting pandered out there that people are kind of soaking up. Is there is there a general response to someone or a group of people that just have no reasoning skills? Maybe that's a loaded question. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure I want to pick that one up. Uh, well, well, you could Monica, always... Monica, didn't you say that um, when, when um, you know, when you get rated for, if you're applying for insurance, the only one of the only questions they can ask you is if you're a smoker. So if you're a smoker, that's going to get priced in the cost of your insurance premium. So you are, if you will, paying for that privilege. Um, the question about people's you know eating habits uh is perhaps a, a one that may come up down the road and maybe that'll be included at some point that you know if you're not um uh, showing a certain level of i don't know weight or fitness or BMI or whatever that they in theory could uh cost that into your premium um and, and I also think that in a, in a more sort of pro positive proactive way a lot more insurance plans through making more preventative benefits available are going to be able to encourage people to um, you know get into fitness plans develop better uh, you know go into whether it's like a weight watchers or other you know uh, plans to help people with their weight and things like that so hopefully the preventative preventive care benefits will address some of that I can just see the new insurance applications requesting to see your last you know, 10 check-ins at uh, the Entenmann's outlet on Facebook. <laughs> right. what, what about, Matthew, you're going to here. What, what about the, the, the question of um, will corporations start to drop health insurance plans for employees given the fact that, you know, you can buy insurance at the state level and without competition uh, rates, rates will still be high for the purchaser? So that's a really, yeah, I think it's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think that was a, a thing that some, a lot of people were scared of, of, okay, well, now my job's going to stop offering health insurance because we can just buy it in the exchanges. Right. We haven't been seeing that happening. 
um, across the board, it really hasn't happened yet. Now, could it happen in 2014? Possibly. But here's the great thing about the exchanges. The idea is right now a large business can go to an insurance company and they can actually negotiate with the insurance company. We want to cover our 500 employees. We want to have X, Y, and Z things covered, and we only want people to have a premium of, you know, A. Well, an individual doesn't have that same purchasing power that a large business does. And that's the idea of the exchanges, is that if we bring all these individuals together and small businesses, they then have the same kind of purchasing power that large businesses do, and that that is supposed to regulate the market and keep costs down. Got it. So can we talk a little bit about what happens if you genuinely cannot afford uh, a policy from the exchange? The government will actually subsidize that for you? Yes and no. Because, <laughs> again, what did I say? There's never an easy answer, right? Um, so if you are between 133% and 400% of the federal poverty level, and what that translates to, um, right now, 133% is about $14,000 per year, per person. So an individual making $14,000 a year at 133% of the poverty level to an individual making about $30,000 a year. If you fit in that bracket, you will, in fact, get a subsidy in order to purchase your health insurance. If you're below that, theoretically, you will be eligible for Medicaid in your state. Okay. But this is the other big controversial part of the law, is what's going to happen with the Medicaid expansion. So in most states right now, childless adults, no matter how poor you are, are not eligible for Medicaid. Okay. So the law expanded that and says starting in 2014, if you're below 133%, of the federal poverty level, you will be able to get Medicaid. So, all right, question on that, Lise? No, I was looking in the chat room here. Uh, I think we had a few questions in the chat room. Have we missed them here? Uh, okay, how about here? Let's pick one out. Uh, if you no, sorry, that's not the one I was looking at. All right, I'll ask the question while she's hunting and pecking. Go ahead. So, all right, so... Flip through my hands. All right, let's play devil's advocate. Are there any arguments on the the opposite opposing sides of this that make any sense? That where, like, what are the absolutely guaranteed negatives to this whole system uh, being implemented? Or are there any? I think you probably are asking the wrong people. <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> right. Curse the well, Democrats. We've, well, we've addressed, <laughs> we, we've taken some counterpoints that they've addressed that we, you know. And I mean, I, w- I would like to have a TV show called Ask Matt, <laughs> where we have, like, the one guy on the left on here and the one guy on the right on here, and they're each, like, in vacuum tubes. And you only let them speak and breathe, you know, for, like, 30 seconds at a time. And, and you try to, which is not barely possible, but in a, in a magical fairyland, That'd be the best way to get real answers from these folks. Because right. I, I, I want to understand the counter-arguments to it, because I, I want to be able to have a... Everything that I'm being fed makes a lot of sense. You know, we're not going to go to a, a universalized healthcare system because everything's profit-based, and that's never going to happen. 
And we're not going to find miracle cures for things where everyone's well and no one needs health care. So is this a downward spiral? Is this really a long-term thing? And God forbid what happens if it gets repealed. You know, should every 26-year-old that has coverage now, you know, riot for the hills because everything they've been fighting for that they got has been taken away? I, I, I don't know that I can give you... I'm not going to try to answer your, your, you know, your question about sort of what's bad in the law, because I, th- I think as Monica has said a couple of times, we're a lot is we're going to see a lot happening between now and 2014, and and it's hard to know exactly how that's all going to roll out. We know a lot, but there's a lot that's going to go through sort of interpretation and development of regulations and things like that. Like that, I think that there's a broader question. A lot of people who oppose the uh, uh, Affordable Care Act are perhaps opposing it for philosophical reasons that, if you will, making a a judgment about whether people who are poor or young or have cancer um, and, and don't have mechanisms to access care and pay for care whether we should do anything as a society to help them. And I and I think that that, you know, gets back to that whole, whole notion, true or not, in our, you know, sort of the myth around personal responsibility in this country. Uh, and, and I think that that's part of the tension is around how much you believe that we have an obligation as a society to provide for others who have less and are in difficult straits. Well said. I want to just ask, we, we, we've run long here, but uh, I want to just go back to something that Craig touched on before, which is uh, benefits for pre- preventive care. This I actually don't know that much about because I always felt that maybe one of the arguments against uh, the Affordable Care Act, sort of from both sides, is are we really doing enough still in this society to take preventive measures, to keep people healthy um, in terms of, you know, worse, we're an, we're an after-the-fact no 64-ounce sodas in the movie theaters. We don't practice sort of Chinese medicine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, any anything preventive. I mean, what what is it going to take? Is is this? I mean, I know this this can't sort of be the catch-all and, and answer everything and solve everything at once. But uh, wh- where does this sort of benefit us in terms of preventive care, and and what more can be done? So let me give you an example of something that I think is is it, it helps to sort of. Suggest the trend of where we're going. So uh, there's, a, there's a big initiative within the Affordable Care Act to establish something called Accountable Care Organizations, ACOs, which is a great government acronym. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and the concept behind that is that, and, and there are, have been many other demonstrations, but the idea is that rather than right now mostly our system pays for procedures we pay when you get an X-ray or MRI or have surgery, or get chemo or whatever. Moving more towards a model where we pay healthcare providers to keep you healthy, and we and 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 we give them in what's called a, potentially some models what we call a capitated payment. We give them one one lump sum of money, and we say, here it is. You have to maintain a certain health status in this person with this money. Um, so, and accountable care organizations are a model of looking at integrated care so that you're trying to put the different providers together 
in a way that holistically takes care of people and includes things like preventative, preventive services. So um, I, I, I think that there's, there's going to be a lot of different initiatives around that. Monica can, can probably talk better, too, what the specific requirements are. Like, every plan has to cover these preventive services. I don't know off the top of my head, um, but I, I think there's going to be a lot of initiatives around that. So just really quickly to get to the specifics of it, because I think, Craig, you're absolutely right. Um, those those ACOs are sort of a little bit still in the future. What's great is that starting back in um, 2010, non-grandfathered health plans have to cover a certain like certain list of preventative services. And you can actually go to healthcare.gov and just type in preventative services and you'll get the whole list. But what's even better, in my opinion, than them just having to cover those services is that they can't be subject to a copay or a deductible. So what we were seeing a lot of times would be, you know, a woman who says, you know what, I have health insurance, I probably should go get a mammogram. But you know what? I have a $5,000 deductible, and there's no way I'm going to hit that. So I'm going to have to pay for that that mammogram out of pocket, even though I have health insurance. So now what's so great is they can, if you follow in the guidelines, they can go get that mammogram, even if they haven't hit their deductible, and even right. if they can afford a copay. Well, I, I read a stat the other day. It's kind of scary. Something like 78% of all medical bankruptcies are people with insurance. Absolutely. Right. Wow, I got something right. Okay. <laughs> yep. I mean that's that's scary as hell. So like this, this the act doesn't really address that specifically though. Like just because you buy something out of the exchange, they can still underserve you. Not technically. So in <laughs> order to participate, so, you know, here's part of the problem, right? Is we're we're looking into that crystal ball again because most states haven't established their exchanges yet. They're still in the process. So we only know what the law says the exchanges should do. Basically, the idea is that for an insurance company to be allowed to participate in the exchange, they have to offer a bare minimum of services and coverage. So there is going to be a little bit more regulation on what insurance companies are allowed to sell in their plans. Well, we're unfortunately out of time. Yeah. Uh, we run very long, but for very good reason. We could have an entire show. Um, uh, we actually, did do an entire show. Well, <laughs> we could have an entire many. We could have an entire week <laughs> of uh, of just this conversation, and certainly not the last of the shows we'll be talking about this because it is the election season, and we want to make sure our listeners understand what's going on from the from from the credibles, if you would call them that. So, and you guys are definitely that. So, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, good luck to you down in uh, D.C. and Chicago, respectively, and I hope to see you guys really soon. Thanks so much Thanks. for having us. All right, Thanks, Craig Monica, Lustig, Craig. Monica Foster, Bryant. Awesome, awesome. It's a tough one to still wrap. I mean, there's some points that we know for our community in terms of staying on your parents' health insurance until you're 26. No pre-existing, you know, can't be penalized for pre-existing, all the pre-existing conditions. But right. It's a, it's a tough thing to, you know, get to the bottom of. But, it's a big deal. Yeah. All right, well, you guys are going to take us out, right? The Backyard Heroes. Uh, one more song? One more song? One more song. Um, yeah. Uh, do you What's do this one? Well, let, let's do the out. Think about what you're going to play. Let's do the out without the music, and we'll have them queued up to the end. Great. Okay, so go ahead, Lise. This was show. This was our season finale of season... Ten. Ten. 
I need my, that was uh, tonight's show. This was our 235th broadcast total, season finale for season 10. We'd like to thank our in-studio guests. I'm going to let you do that, Matthew. I'd like to thank my friends Nancy Schwartz and Doug Dworkin. Doug, who had a very, very good question. You know what I realized? Sorry, what? there were um, Friends, the show Friends, had 238 episodes. We're at 235. We like to compare ourselves to one of the biggest hits yes. in the history of television. Yes, exactly. That's what, that's what We're we... three shows shy of the Friends. Okay, good. All right, we uh, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Super Cancer on our season finale here. Uh, thank uh, Matt Beckett, James Manning, uh, Tim Matthews, Bobby Dykeman will take us out. Um, Doug Dworkin, Nancy Schwartz, of course, and Monica Fawzi, Craig Lustig, experts on Obamacare. Great conversation tonight. We are on hiatus until September 10th. Again, we are on hiatus until right. September 10th. After Labor Day, be sure to join us as we welcome our friends from Stand Up to Cancer. On September 7th will be the Stand Up to Cancer telethon. We're going to have them on the show three days later to talk about their success and what they're going to do with their money. And uh, they're a great partner of ours. Season 11 premiere, uh, 8 o'clock Eastern, September 10th. And, uh, and have a great summer, everybody. Have a great Until summer. Then. Yes. All right, here we go. Backyard Heroes, guys. Go ahead. Play us out. That's, a, that's awesome that you guys are going to have Stand Up to Cancer. Uh, at our show, at our show uh, just this past Thursday, I was wearing my Star Wars Stand Up to Cancer yep. shirt. Yep, uh, they got good campaigns. But, um, but yeah, this, uh, this we were, we were... And we have five minutes, so okay. make sure it's short. Yeah, this this one's a short one. It's fun, it's fast. Yeah, we uh we're we're honored to to be on this. Like it's it's cool. And uh this song doesn't have to do with cancer, but this is one that uh we close a lot of our shows with. Um and uh just you know, we're honored to do this and we if anybody ever wants us to be a part of some kind of a cause or anything, please reach out to us and that's uh the biggest thing and uh we hope you enjoyed our songs and we hope you enjoy this one. Uh nice, fun and positive and Thanks a lot for tuning in to Stupid Cancer's radio show. We are Backyard Heroes. This song is called Honorable Mention. All right, here you go. Burning bridges and our stores.
September 10th, live at 8 p.m. with Stand Up to Cancer. Take care, guys. Good night, everybody. Good night. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.